Hey, Robbie, thanks for being on In the Trenches. I appreciate it. Yeah. So um, to kick us off, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Well, for over a decade before the pandemic, I was focusing on teaching people how to network at conferences and events. Left my day job after like five years of speaking, you know, side hustle to focus on that full time, which led to me launching my podcast, which I'm still hosting called On The Schmooze. That was back in like 2015 when that got started and it came out in 2016. 2017, my first book came out, which is about networking events. Subsequently, I did a group coaching program, wrote for Harvard Business Review, got invited to TEDx. TEDx got published January 2020. I was poised to be an overnight success, 10 years in the making. And two months later, nobody didn't know how to network at anything because we were all at home. So I had to show up and offer value in a different way. I drafted a blog post and sent it out March 12th called Nine Ways to Network in a Pandemic. And that night I was like looking at this, thinking I should do one of these things. Number three was to host a virtual happy hour, which is how I ended up hosting a virtual happy hour for the first time on March 13th, 2020, which is when a lot of people started hitting pause on their businesses. I don't know what I was going to do next, but I thought I got to help people. And within a month, it was branded the No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hour. And by November, I had a thriving six-figure business based on all new revenue streams. And the following year in October of 21, I published my second book, which is all about how do you build an audience before you try to sell anything? Because my sort of secret weapon is I'm also a business growth strategy coach. And so I was following what I would teach a client. And then finally, March of this year, 2023, I published my third book, which is how to leverage Zoom, which is everything I learned in the three plus years. And it came out on March 13th, 2023, marking the third anniversary of that first fateful virtual happy hour. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm a multi-passion entrepreneur. I constantly reinventing, rebranding, but I keep everything with me. So I'm known, depending on who, how people know me, for very different things. But I, I like to cross-pollinate what I do. Yeah. I've been kind of uh, in the last year-ish, uh, last few months at least, kind of reinvigorating my newsletter, my email list, sending out more emails. I kind of had taken a pause like for the last year to focus on other things, but now I'm coming back to it. And you had sent me this really cool email kind of out of the blue. And I really appreciate it. It was a very nice email. Um, I'm going to quote a couple points of it, but it was re- that's why I, w- I wanted to bring you on today because you said this thing that just stuck out to me that I thought was so interesting. I thought it'd be worth exploring this and definitely talking about some of the stuff you're into today. But you said this, I was in your Authority Summit Mastermind in 2016. Okay, so this is just for context Mm -hmm. for people to, I guess, keep timelines in in perspective here. So it's 2023 now. You said you joined that mastermind in 2016. I purchased the replay of the summit on a whim. I'm not sure I ever listened to them, but it led me to sign up for your mastermind. I remember telling you I wanted to make 10K a month and you said, that's not hard. <laughs> so I think back to myself, I'm like, did I really, do- I, I might've, it's funny. I, I, I like, yep. that's not hard. That's easy. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt impossible back then when the pandemic shut down in-person events and my business teaching people how to network at those events. I reinvented myself and became a sought after virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer. Thought about our conversation. I've seen 20 to 50K months repeatedly happen. So I just think that's the point I want to zoom in on first. And then we'll go do a bunch of this other stuff. But first, I think that's funny because sometimes I don't even realize what I'm saying to people. Now I'd be like, well, 10K, you, like, you can get there. I don't know if I'd ever say, oh, that's easier. That's, that's not hard. Um, but I probably was like that. I was very gung-ho. And, but it turns out, I guess, once you've seen it and you've gotten there, you can kind of look back and you're like, oh, maybe I, I get what he's getting at. Like actually the 10K is pretty easy. And again, I say that with the context of knowing that people are listening to this probably who are not there yet. And then those maybe who are well beyond it, because there's definitely a, a big group who's listening to this. But what, what's your take on that now in hindsight? So in hindsight, I was 
a networking expert. That's sort of the frame that I had. It's the identity I had. And before leaving my day job, I had been doing some speaking within the context of nonprofits and foundations. And, you know, getting paid $1,000 to fly from the East Coast to the West Coast for two nights for a two-hour talk was like, woohoo, until I did it. And then I was like, that was a lot of effort for not a lot of money. And I was like, I need a new audience. And it took me a while to figure out what that new audience was because networking was a pain that a lot of people complain about, but it's not an urgent pain. And so people don't feel the need to to fix it. And it took me a while to figure out how to match my skill set with someone else's urgency and business development ended up becoming sort of a, a place. But I also didn't at the time have the network who could afford business development support and coaching. And so there was sort of like a mismatch between my skills, my passion, and the network that I had. And part of it was the network. But truthfully, I was really good at the networking. So I would think I had lacked imagination about how to approach my skills in a way that would match people. And that's about listening. So one of the things I learned to do over the years is research calls. And because that's what I'm training my clients to do. And that's really Within one month, I of like the pandemic, or at least March, uh, mid March, when we all sort of hit pause, I had a pilot uh, announced for a four week uh, program to help people become more confident and confident using Zoom that started in May. And I filled it with 15 people for $500 each to sort of just test this idea. And I ran it four months in a row. And I took action because I wasn't about perfection. I didn't have to do outbound at that time. People were coming to me for with questions because I had very quickly positioned myself as someone who knew more than they did about Zoom. But I will be honest, the first time I used breakout rooms was March 20th. I'd had Zoom for years and never knew anything about the settings. So I just quickly got ahead of other everyone else. Like yes. it's like you just need to be a chapter ahead at, at first, <laughs> you know. And now I'm like, I have 10,000 words written in a book about breakout rooms. Like, what do you want to know? But at the time. I thought that you had to pay for them. Like I didn't know it came with every like free or paid Zoom. So my learning curve was really quick and I was able to then find out what people's needs were and connect the two. And I think the click for me was, I believe events are about content and connection. And now we were stuck using virtual for events. It's supposed to be synonymous. So, well, I mean, all we know is 45 minutes of death by PowerPoint followed by ineffectual yeah. Q&A and no one moderating chat. So how are we supposed to accomplish connection and engagement and like, and find ways to convert people to sales through virtual. So I was stumped in March, 2020 and wrote a book about it three years later that helps people. So in, you know, being willing to test things out, uh, was a big shift, but I think once you unlock your passion and skills with the right need people have, then yeah, $10,000 a month isn't hard. And one of the challenges I give to friends, colleagues, I run a ton of networking events, clients is if you had to come up with $10,000 in three months, how would you do it? Because they're usually stuck in like doing the thing they've always done. And I'm like, but if you had, I don't know, you have to come up with $10,000. And it happened that someone in my membership group had mold in her kitchen that was discovered. And so it was going to cost 10 grand and she had to move out while it was being done. So it was like additional living costs. And we were like, as a community, we brainstormed what could she do? How could she repurpose her content? What could do live? Like short of charity, she was very against just taking money from people, but selling something she would do. And I just think that we have to be creative. And I give them three months, not just a month, (laughs) because they mostly think they can't. But once you get on that track, it's not hard to do. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just remember that conversation. 
because I was feeling really stumped. It was still at the very early stages of this being a business. I had two kids, one in December of 2015 and one December of 2017. So for the first three and a half years of their lives, I was kind of the primary caregiver because I was home <laughs> and we didn't have money for outside care and I didn't need to send my kids off. I spent like my time with them or working in my business. Yeah. But when I was finally able to like put full attention, like they got, they went off to school, I was ready. You know, I did all the right yeah. things in the meantime. Well, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. One is um, the point of how kind of just the just-in-time learning and then teaching too. Um, that was a little bit of an earlier point. Now, kind of what you were talking about with Zoom. Uh, I just thought that was neat because I've found, and that ties into the money piece though too. They're linked in some ways, which is that, you know, when I work with a lot of people, I know you do too. And it's like, uh, I'll see when people get stuck. And a lot of times it's like uh, wanting everything to be perfect before it's launched or to have this whole system or it's like, I need to have something scalable. And it's like, I mean, if you're not at 10,000 a month, there's really nothing to scale. And sometimes you have to do the uncomfortable things that don't scale, like just direct outreach or do whatever. And I love the premise of like, well, what would you do right now to get 10K? And the interesting thing is if you actually can learn and teach, if you have that angle, everybody's got different skill sets. But I think if you're a person who has the ability to teach, and not everybody does, but some people are kind of more naturals at it, that's one of the fastest paths is go learn something that's necessary right now. Like I would say AI is kind of in that space. I know there are people that are just jumping into the AI and bandwagon and leading the charge of teaching it, even though they're literally only a few steps ahead. But I found like, number one, that's actually kind of fun to be in that position because it's, I don't know, I love learning and then teaching as I go. So I like to be in the thick of it. I did that with like pay what you want pricing back in the day. I'm getting into AI now. I'm not really teaching it yet, but like it's just kind of fun to be in that spot where you're maybe are only a few steps ahead, but that's actually a tremendous value if you can then take that information you've learned and condense it down into bite-sized pieces that people can consume and understand. Like there's a tremendous amount of value there, but you don't, and you don't have to have this whole big thing built out. You just kind of have to learn as you go and then bring that learning back from the mountaintop, so to speak, and, and, and give it to the people. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I actually think there's some benefit to being uh, the coach who's just a little bit ahead because I also have mentors who are just so far ahead. You know, like in some ways they have to really be thoughtful to not just give me steps one, four, seven, and 12 because it's been a while since they've had to start from the place that I'm at. Whereas, you know, having people who are, you know, a few steps ahead, but can still remember what that was like, it's really helpful because they're going to, get that you might need more handholding in the first four steps, then you might be off on your own for a little while. And let's just check in around this point. So there's a lot of value and everybody needs a different source for resources and support. Yep. So you know, don't hold back. I wanted to say something about the time around March, April, May, June. Yeah. It was very freeing to try new things because yes. we were all so self-focused and we were all dealing with our own personal crises around how to move forward. Nobody was being critical about what other people were trying. No yeah. one was like, that, that? you're gonna do that? That's, yeah. what? You, that would never work. And in fact, you know, I always like to say, I'm happy to talk about all the things that worked, but notice I'm not telling you all the things that didn't stick to the wall. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yep. I, I can think of one thing in particular that I, I thought of, I thought I could make $1,000 a, a hit, but like, it was a mismatch with that network. Like, they, they were like, yeah, we'll just figure it out on our own. And I'm like, yeah, my ideal clients don't say that. So that's not going to work. But I didn't spend four months developing a program for $1,000. I I went where the people were like, yeah, I need this. 
And now I've sunset that four-week program, which by the way, became a certification program by third month. I ran it four times one year and then three times the next year and then two times. And now this year, it's like, I was thinking about running it and I put out sort of a survey on this on this website to see what it would be like. I got over a hundred people to fill out the survey because I was like, if I get over a hundred people, this network's gonna let me promote. But I got like 12 people actually interested <laughs> in paying me. And when I reached out to them, they all had reasons why it wouldn't work. <laughs> and so without having to put more effort than that, I was like, okay, this is gonna be changing to a bespoke service that I offer to six and seven figure entrepreneurs because the payoff for them is really worth it. And they're still using Zoom. Like other people have gotten a level of competency that they're, they're happy with. They don't want to get better than that. And so the need's not there. So I'm like, I'm like all right, I'm gonna change focus. I, I think that it's real. this is sort of like, um, you know, minimally viable product and all that stuff. Yes. Like I'm really into just figuring things out and trying to hold that same sense of awe of like, okay, let's just see what else will work that I had, you know, March, April, May, June, when it really kind of felt like a little bit of a wild west. And there was a split, I will say, Tom, between the entrepreneurs who hit the brakes and decided to take a siesta for a few months and wait yeah. until the life went back to normal, quote unquote. And then the folks that just experimented. And in, yeah. in September 2020, it was a notable difference <laughs> which ones were just really getting good and better and better on virtual, whatever they were doing, coaching, masterclasses, teaching, speaking, whatever. And those that had literally just taken months off and had nothing new to offer. And it's not like it went away right away. And still, virtual is very much here yeah. to stay. Yeah, I mean, that opens up a whole another conversation in some ways, maybe worth touching on. But it's like these things you can't predict. It's like the black swan. It's like Nassim Taleb's black swan theory or concept. I don't know if it's his or whoever's, but obviously he popularized it. But it's like these random events that have like these inordinate like uh, repercussions, you know, that you can't predict. And the point is that was one, that was a big one. We all just lived through. There will be another one. That's part of the nature of the dynamic of it. That's, that's how it works. Like there's going to be something that, and here's the thing, knowing that something unpredictable will occur, doesn't mean you can predict it. It just, you have to know that something unpredictable will happen. Um, and it could be totally different than this last one. And, and likely it will be, that's the nature of it. But it's like, I felt that same way when that stuff happened. I was like, man, I just, I'm hitting the gas. Cause I just felt like this is the time I'm glad I did. We actually had fine years. Like I, and I was through the various projects and testing things out, but I also had a lot of failures, like still experimenting with stuff, even though I'm the, the guy who helps, I work with a lot of people to help like launch products and, you know, develop these kind of things. I still launched some stuff that was total, um, garb, like I it wasn't garbage. It ended up being like thrown in the trash. Cause nobody bought it. We, we didn't get any hits and it, well, I actually thought it was going to be great. And again, I, I come at it from like, oh, we have to be lean. You got to go where the market wants you to go. And I still make mistakes or I still do things that don't, that don't hit, you know? And it's like, that's the reality of it too. Like, I don't know how to get away from that. I don't think you're supposed to hit a thousand percent. You well, know, the market keeps changing. Yes. Right. And so, you know, now I'm talking about plans, like even vacation plans. I have vacation plans for next November. Yeah. Like a year from now that I started working on in August of this year. And like to have a horizon that's more than a few weeks out feels like a gift. I'm yes. not going to take it for granted ever again that I can make yeah. plans for next year. Yeah. And that's the difference is that for a while there, all of our horizons, all of our planning horizons were yeah. so short, just like weeks to maybe like max two months. And so like the life cycle of an idea had to be super quick because yes. you could miss that moment, but sort of like AI. Yep. So AI hit like the zeitgeist while I was writing my third book and I didn't have time to pay attention because I 
essentially wrote the book in uh, December and January and had the advanced reader copying people's hands by the end of February and it launched mid-March. So like I was busy. <laughs> my my team and I were, were, that's all we were focusing on. And I was hearing about it, but I wasn't experimenting. I wasn't playing with it. And then when I went to publish my book, it's a computer book. And I went and saw all the categories and there was like tons of AI books already out there in March. And so those are the people that were just jumping up first. Now, what they wrote is probably garbage now. <laughs> you know, it's irrelevant. But new books will keep coming out and better prompts and better experiments and better use cases and case studies and all this. But the people who started first definitely got a jump on it. And the people who were like looking for guidance went to those people first. And so therefore they got better. And so it's like this cycle. But yes. I missed the chance to be, not that I necessarily wanted to be, but I missed the chance to like be the the like early adopter to AI. Yeah. Right. But I'm also okay with it. Like I oh, don't yeah. think we need to chase every shiny object or in this case, might be more of a noble obstacle. Like, I need to learn this AI thing. It's like, well, I mean, how relevant is it for my business? Right. So now I'm experimenting more with how do I repurpose existing content using yep. AI? And that's been a more focused part of the conversation for me. And I'm partnering with people around that. And that, like, I wanted to find a way to use AI in my business that felt right as opposed to chasing, like, everyone's talking about this. <laughs> yes. Well, and then the other, so that's interesting because that's like this, it is, it's topical right now. And I don't, think it's going away. Like AI feels like it's got more sticking power than like NFTs. And I tried to figure out the NFT thing. I was like, man, everybody's talking about this. I was like, I was gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna relaunch one of my books as an NFT, man. I just, I was too busy though in the end to like really get it out there. And by the time I was like ready to launch, I'm like, NFTs had already dived. And I'm like, man, I was like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Like, where's the value in this? Like in a long term, like 30, 50 years, like the idea there, there is something to it. I, I, I think it is, but without going too much into, but it's like the tech's not there. The, the, all these things aren't there for it. But AI, even though I don't think it's really intelligence and, and you know when a or artificial intelligence, the apps that are coming out and the tools that are coming out, like all of a sudden, ChatGPT has become very interesting. I'm doing more stuff on Midjourney. Yes. I'm doing stuff on HeyGen. I'm, I'm testing out all these things, and I'm like, okay, this, this tech is quickly becoming better, which is super interesting. So it's like one of those things, like. Even if you miss the boat now, it's like, or quote unquote, miss the boat. There's topical things in your space. You're talking about networking. You're talking about, or books, for instance, and these other things. Take the things that are out there now and how do we apply them to your specific use case is I think where there's tremendous potential value add. You know, uh, NFTs remind me of podcasts in 2005. Yeah. Yes. What? How do I listen to this? Yep. But there's no video? So it's like a phone call. <laughs> it's like you're trying to explain... And people didn't walk around with devices that readily had a way yes, to listen, like correct. you were tied to your computer to listen. And, you know, by 2009, you know, folks like started to figure it out. I mean, Smart Passive Income, Pat Flynn, you know, comes yeah. out. And by then he's like a big name. I think he started in like 2007, 2009, something in there. So it's like, it starts to happen. And now like everybody can figure this out. Like it's, it's just, it's going to literally, it's wired into brand new cars that you have a podcast yep. app. <laughs> so. I think that the usability of something is important. And that's where, for me, it's not about learning tech for tech's sake. Like I never bothered to look under the hood for Zoom settings before because I right. was using it with 12 or fewer people. I've kept everyone in the main room. I was fine with it. I was doing group calls or masterminds. Um, I actually got some training on virtual masterminds. So that helped me be prepared. Like Looking back, I have all the skills 
to make what I do today viable. And I think that's for well, the unexpected changes that are going to occur, regardless, you know, for what we do, there's going to be something that's going to disrupt. The transferable skills is always the yes. answer. So taking stock of like, not what you call yourself, not the service you yep. offer, but what are the skills that make up that business? And then, you know, how can you shift? Like, how can you pay attention to the market? So every time I get, you know, three or four people within a few months of asking me the same question, I think, well, should I host a masterclass on this just for free and just see yeah. who shows up? I'll record it. And then I'll share with that out as a lead magnet so that people want to hop on a call with me about, I don't know, how do you host a podcast? I'm like, okay, watch this 90 minute replay first. And then if you still want to have a conversation, sure. Yes. So it frees up my calendar. Like I become a resource, but I don't have to like, doesn't mean I have to go build a course, <laughs> yes. you know, like I find there's a line between being of service and like having to build another revenue stream automatically, just finding out like, what's the pressure point before you do all the next things. Yes. And I think it's funny because I think there's still, um, the core piece of it that's still the same. And I think has been, was the same before I started, before you started. Um, it will be the same 10, 20, 50 years from now is it's that idea of like, there's, yes, there's first mover bias and benefit, but whatever you can do right now to kind of generate interest and beyond interest, because obviously I think we're in a attention deficit world, like, and things are going by so quickly. So it's, it's easy to kind of get attention or get interest, but then it can go away really quickly. But it's how do you kind of then turn that energy into something that actually like people want to follow you or, or pay attention or sign up or subscribe. So obviously, I'm a big proponent of an email list. I don't even need to go into the specific tactical piece, but the idea of actually having people who want to follow you and want to pay attention to what you're doing, because that can accrue benefits across time. Like with my email list, for example, like just you coming out of the blue, it's like, yeah, I've been doing this over 10 years. And even though I've probably taken some hiatuses and been really lazy about it, Going back to it, I haven't completely burned the list. I was actually thinking about deleting the whole thing. Now I'm so glad I didn't. I've just started a, the premium newsletter. I'm bringing the podcast back to life a little bit in my own way. But it's funny because now I'm like, oh, it's, it's reinvigorating me going back to and saying, well, why did I like to do this in the beginning? I like to do it because I like to teach. I like to learn and teach. And now I'm getting to do that again. And I just get to recapture that energy and then realize, well, there's any, any number of topics that are out there that are all of a sudden really important or topical to people. And, and then once you've accrued the audience, now I go straight back to them and it's like, I put someone onto my list. I got like, you know, over hundreds of responses. So I'm like, okay, there's a hundred things I could probably dive into here to see if they're a value. And to your point, it's like, what could I quickly do to see if there is enough interest? Is it a free workshop? Is it a paid workshop? Is it, is it a, a blog post? Is it a podcast? Is it just a request to reply back to something? And just to put things out there quickly and iterate quickly. And for me, like with the premium newsletter, it was here's an idea for a newsletter. Here, are you guys in or out? So now I've got some subscribers. Now I'm like, want to bring it, that was through a waiting list. Now I'm going to bring it out to the full list and see where it goes and see if it's got life. And even that thing, I'm still like, well, what am I really writing about? Right now, at this point, I think people are just signing up because they kind of, they know me and they like, they've liked my stuff over the years. I, that's, I can tell because I can see the names in there. I'm like, oh, I've known this person for like 10 years. But, mm -hmm. Eventually, this will become something that it, it it will be different than what it is right now. And that's the thing. I don't always see the future. I just kind of do the thing that I, I know to do right now. And I think I know this is going to be different in the future, but I got to get started. I got to get something going, if that makes sense. This reminds me of a process that I've been going through and it's been iterating lately. So I started that first virtual happy hour March 13th, April 14th, 2020. It became no more bad Zoom virtual happy hour. I ran it weekly for free for two years. Okay. Yep. 
I celebrated Christmas and New Year's with folks in 2020 because Friday happened to be when that was those holidays fell and we had nowhere else to go. And at the end of two years, I switched it to a monthly free event, nomorebadzoom.com. And I launched a a group membership program called Content and Connection Club, contentandconnectionclub.com. So it was like the first month, I just told the people who were in that inner circle who'd been coming regularly, it's 10 bucks a month for life until you leave, right? And then it went to $25 a month after the first 30 days. And then like a year and a half goes by. And I noticed that, you know, I've had like, 50 people currently in the group, 50 people who have left the group. And we do, you know, do these calls every Friday. We get on a call, we do a little mastermind, usually like eight to 12 people on the call. And they have access to content I've created. They have an online message board that none of us fully use. And then I was like, okay, am I going to sunset this? Or am I going to invest more in it? So I decided that I just would miss this. Like these people, yeah. I mean, they kept me sane in the beginning and they helped me realize I had a business venture. Like I didn't even know, like they basically, even though they weren't the ones buying initially from me, they were the ones who helped me figure out how to do all this. So I upped the price to a hundred dollars a month and I added co-working sessions throughout the week, business book club that we're doing once a month. Um, members get to have their own monthly or once office hour to showcase what they do and have people come ask them questions. So it's like, I'm like, oh, what else can we do? So now someone's putting together a LinkedIn pod with two other entrepreneurs. So it's like, what else can we do? So the in, the members who are still paying $25 or $10 a month are really invested in, in this now because they're like, whoa, everyone else is paying $100 a month. All right, what can I do to step up? So they're actually more engaged and they're offering like, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll, I'll do co-working hours, I'll host, you know, and it's bringing life back. It's only been like two yes. weeks since we started this shift. And so then I went back to the 50 people who had left and I'm like, hey, if you sign up, if you rejoin in November, I'll let you come back at $25 a month. Totally cool. Like you already, we were part of this early on. But but after that, it's $100 a month for everybody. And so I'm sort of like almost soft launching this so that in January, February, when everyone's like reinvesting in their businesses and like all their, you know, best practices for the beginning of the year, like we're all the things we're going to do. I'm like, by then we'll have this like, all these new programs, this thriving community, it'll re-engage people. And these are my best referral partners. Sometimes they end up being coaching clients or event clients, but like I do it because I like it. Like if yes. if it was wearing me down to host something every Friday, I wouldn't do it. Yep. Best part, this, this summer, I had to miss three Fridays in a row because of travel, vacation, and a conference. And members were thrilled to be asked to step up and host that week. Because they felt like it was an honor. And I was like, wow, if I was charging like $500 a month, I couldn't step away. Like I would have to be there. So I was like, this is not about making a ton of money. And half the money for me goes to charity, Feeding America, which is something I love. So it's like, but at some point I had to iterate. Like I couldn't keep it where it was. It was feeling stale. So we'll do this for six months and see what happens. You know, it's like, it's about keeping that engagement going. And it's way more, I'm way more excited now about it than I was like five months ago when it was just sort of moving along. And again, it's not about the money in, it's about those connections and, and nurturing people at scale. So I don't have to have coffee chats with all these people because like I see them weekly. Yes. <laughs> I know a lot about their life. I know what they need help with. I know who I can refer them to. We refer business to each other. I don't know. It's It's been, it's super exciting right now for me. And you, but and do, would you say you've also accrued like uh, any tertiary benefits from that? Like, uh, well, I, you mentioned referring business. 
I mean, so and did referring business, some of it become so I changed my coaching packages like a year, a little more than a year ago. And so I added a 90 minute and a three hour coaching package. So before it was like three, it was actually it was six and twelve before. So now it's 90 minutes, three hours, three months, or six months. And I lowered the prices down to make it an easier yes, because I decided I didn't want to do any more sales process. Like the prices I was charging were five figures and it took a year and a half to sometimes nurture people into it. And I was like, I don't, I want to go for ease. That's my word of the year for next year. It's like ease. Nice. <laughs> I want to go where the money's easy. And so I lowered my prices. So now people, it's like, oh, okay. And the smaller packages is where I think I see members hopping in to like ask me specific questions. And then sometimes that leads, if they sign up for three or six months after like a 90 minute, I just say, you know what, what you paid me, I'm going to apply that bigger package. And we'll just adjust the number of hours because essentially the first session I would have had with you would have been that 90 minutes. Yeah. So it's a way to kind of guide people into a process. If they don't think they need more and I better refer them to somebody else, totally fine. I'm here to be of service. And so, yeah, I, I think it's it's just kept things like moving. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. And again, it just kind of goes back to that point of just putting stuff out there and the the building of the audience, building of the engagement, especially these kind of communities and I think there's a lot of life that's still in that. Like I know we're okay, you know, gone back to normal, so to speak, and and people are engaging in, you know, you know, in, in person and whatnot. But now there's like this indelible print from the last few years where now everybody is to some degree comfortable online. There's certain like you know certain virtual modes of behavior that have kind of been established, and so I think people are more willing to. There, there's this opportunity in like micro niches yeah. and micro communities, big big time. Again, if you're not looking for like huge dollar amounts. But what's interesting is I think for any entrepreneur, you can have that as like a small dollar amount thing. Like I'm not looking to just do my newsletter full time. I make no profit on it right now. I likely won't make any profit for like a year, likely. I mean, not even like paying myself anything for a million different reasons. But my thinking is that if I do this and I can get it going, it can help me generate ideas. I believe that there's a likelihood that people who come through there will hire me for one-off coaching or consulting or something like that, or there'll be invisible doors that will open for me in the future by doing this. That's my, it's that's another, my thing. It's another layer of yes, compared to just starting an email list. That's what yes. I like about it. You're having people raise their hand a little yes. higher. Yeah, and exactly. that helps you notice them and them notice you. Yes. For me, the virtual thing is not definitely not going away. And what's interesting is there's, you know, a lot of folks you and I know, these six, seven figure online entrepreneurs, who were using virtual before the pandemic to launch things. And now they're doing it even more now because people are used to Zoom. We're all kind of comfortable in this space. And yet <laughs> I still see them making very 2020 mistakes. Yes. Um, and yeah. I Let's have now been that. so many. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 I was like, I have to start seeing whether they, I, I want to do research calls to see whether they realize they're making these mistakes. But I was on a launch the other day where the person said, okay, now we're going to breakout rooms but they weren't enabled in that account. And long story short, 25 minutes later, he finally got around to doing his talk, which he had to shorten, which he then told us, oh, I'm going to skip this. Oh, I'm going to skip this. And then he got to his call to action. So it was like, oh Oof. man, like- That hurts me. Hurts. As <laughs> a launch guy, that hurts me. <laughs> it hurts. And, and then, you know, there's this other guy who sells a software and it's really cool software. And so he does this like info call to let people know, like every week he's like, I'll do this info call. So I join it. He goes, okay, I'm going to share my screen, which he then shared incorrectly. He showed us his entire desktop with his Chrome floating. 
So we got to see everything. So, all right, there's that. But he goes, when I share my screen, I won't be able to see you or the chat. So just interrupt me. And which is, by the way, not true for Zoom. Like you can absolutely set it up to see participants, 24 of them, and see the chat. So he just, he just that's, his, that's his lived experience <laughs> thus far. He doesn't even know to think that this could be fixed. But then he didn't pause once for 30 minutes to see if anyone had any questions. So it's like some of it's technical failure. Yep. Like some of it is facilitation failure. Yes. And then there's crickets because people are like, oh, well, this 30 minutes of information. Like, I don't know. So no engagement. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go to this next section. And he talked for 25 more minutes. Yep. <laughs> so, um, I'm just seeing this and my pitch is if I can get you to keep 10% more people on your call up to the call to action, and you can close 1% more of those people, investing in my services is going to be worth it. You gave me something that was really gold, Robbie. Uh, last time we spoke, we spoke like two months ago or three months ago. I don't know. It, it, it's been a whirlwind this year, but whenever we spoke last briefly, you mentioned something about, and you might have some other tips too, but I love, I love a good tip I can implement that's not very um, time intensive, but it was something about like pull people at the beginning and pull people at the end. So my last webinar we ran, I did half of that. I pulled them at the beginning, like how comfortable you are marketing your books or something like that. And sure enough, it was like uh 70 to 80% were like not very, or, or like low or medium low kind of thing. And I meant to do it at the end. Cause I just dawned on me. I didn't prepare well enough. I should have. But it was like a little, it was a little bit that it actually set up, set the stage. And then I was, what you had told me was like, then do it at the end and get that like before and after. So I missed the second part, but we actually flowed. It did, in spite of me not doing the poll at the end, um, yeah. the conversation was great. And it was just a, a reminder that like, okay, I should, ha- I should be a little bit more intentional about, okay, what are the things, the cues, not just the training, not just the cadence. I do, I'm very interactive on the chat and things like that. So I got, got a lot of it, right? But little things like that, like let's do a quick early poll where anybody can just, because anybody can click a poll. I think that's one of the things we talked about too. Like there's yes. people who are just silent in chat, right? Who just won't comment, you know? Well, then they kind of, they, they're out of it in some ways because they're, they're just silent observers, but they'll click a poll answer. I think that was your premise. And I think that was just that little thing was super helpful. So I don't know if you have any other and tips. And then you get data, Tom, after. Data. Yes, correct. Because if you look at, you know, where they started and where they ended, or even just the yep. question in the beginning, yep. you can then like change, personalize your follow-up message to them to check in. Hey, beginning, I saw, you know, you said you were like, not so sure about this, but it seemed like you got a lot of confidence after what tips helped you the most. And just ask that question that maybe turn into a testimonial. It may turn into asking like another conversation email back and forth and inviting them to get an assessment call. Right. And like, it's a way, like if they don't sign themselves up right away, like you, you always want to end with some sort of like book a call with me or something like that. But if they're like, oh, I'm not ready to book an hour call, be like, oh, hey, we could just hop on for 15, 20 minutes, you know, and just like, let me see what questions I can answer for you. And then that can lead to more conversation. And so how you follow up with people can be part of that. I mean, you're talking about engagement with chat. What I find is just that we should not think of this as sort of difficult. I think what's been happening is we use, I'm going to use a sports ball analogy here, and I'm not a sports ball guy, but if we use soccer rules and apply it to hockey, it's not going to go well. (laughs) Like, you know, like maybe from like an alien outer world perspective, like they're the same game, right? (laughs) They're on a field, there's goals in each end, but they're operating at different speeds, different surfaces, different like equipment. And so 
we can't assume that everything we did in person, we're going to replicate online. There's some overlap, but mostly there's differences. And so I really talk about how do we reimagine what we did in person utilizing a mixture of digital and analog tools. So we can accomplish this goal. And it's not about being whiz bang, like flashy. The subtitle of my, my Zoom book, it's, it was called Breakout of Boredom. It's low tech solutions for highly engaging Zoom events. And the low tech part is, you know, how do you do things built into Zoom versus sending people to a third party tool that they may not get to because they're afraid to click the link because when they do, Zoom goes away because they don't know how to like find Zoom again because their their Zoom goes full screen. It's a whole thing. And so depending on your audience and their like capability around this, you will get 70 to 90% following through on a Zoom poll and maybe 30 to 50% going to Menti or Mural or Miro or whatever thing is out there. And so that's how I think about it. Like if you haven't played with OBS and Ecamm by this point, well, then I will show you how you can still like have an image pop up that's a custom video filter that's built into Zoom. If you can have three of those per meeting and that's all you need, it'll still make like emphasis, you know, without you having to be hiding behind your slides the whole time. So it's a little about facilitation. It's a little about design. It's about creating purpose-first design. I'm so enthralled with what we can now do that there are some events I do for clients that I cannot imagine how hard it would be to replicate now back in person because it would take five times in over volunteers, like football stadiums worth of space. You know, I, I mean, I've done conversations with five, 600 people in breakout rooms. I can't even imagine how we would get people in the different rooms correctly if it were in person. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to switch and go to this other room. And now we're going to switch yeah. to this other room. Like, oh man. And yet we're able to have these intimate, deep conversations in these spaces with 10 people without having to overhear everybody else talking. It's beautiful when you realize what's possible you learn the rules of the game you're actually playing and you measure yourself against that as opposed to measuring yourself against something else. Yeah. Let's zooming in on Zoom on this kind of experience, these virtual experiences too. Like, well, we did our, our first ever like three day live virtual conference earlier this year. And one of the things that came from it was that kind of blew my mind was how much people connected so quickly and how much they like was camaraderie and how it was like a community, like, almost instantly, like within, like definitely with like by the end of the first day. And then as a side effect, our enrollment in the next cohort for our program, it was the best class we've ever had. Everybody was engaged. Almost everybody made it. I think like 90, 95% of the students made it through every single lesson, all 12 weeks, the whole way through. Um, Everybody showed up. So then we got the best results for everybody we've ever gotten before. So the engagement was higher. The show up rate was higher. The drop off was lower. Um, than ever before. You know, again, when you consider that compared to like a course where it's like something like it's the inverse of that, it's like 90% of people don't complete just a do it yourself course to have those numbers. And I now directly bring that back to actually doing that specifically that event, even though it was, it was over three days, we we're doing like eight hour days each day and it was exhausting. And part of me never wants to do that ever again because of how exhausting it was. But then I also see the benefit and the value of how good it was for creating that community almost instantly. Um, I don't know if you have any comments on this or thoughts. I had so many thoughts. I mean, I'll tell you the mistake that often happens when people are planning multi-day events or like even one-day events. What you do in a 60, 75, or 90-minute sort of segment, right? That's key. But how you string them together to be a day or multiple days is so important. And I just had a multi, you know, six-figure entrepreneur tell me 
that she booked an, a nine hour day, no breaks for something that I'm a part of. And she said, yeah, yeah, well, I don't, I, I you know, I do this all the time. And if I do breaks, people are going to leave. <laughs> and I was like, um, okay, wow, this is still happening. Like, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, but I, and I always joke like the Sims family, you know, the Sims character, the game, like they had yeah. access to restrooms. <laughs> like we're biological creatures. Can we please also? And if you're doing your job well in how you design the day and the content and match it to the audience and the engagements there, then the breaks you have, which should be planned and announced yep. so that people yep. know when to step away to do life. Yep. Uh, and most of us are at home, particularly in the world of entrepreneurship. We have other responsibilities, other emails, other walk the dog or make ourselves yep. lunch. If we can plan for that, we won't miss content. Because she was like, we're adults. Yep. People will just leave when they need to. I was like, ah, you know, mm -hmm. so to me, it's like design the day well, make the content relevant. And one of the things I do, because my 90% of my income is through virtual events mm -hmm. and the clients I, that hire me have amazing teams for in-house events. And my job is to sort of add value. And so I'm handling all the Zoom tech, but I'm also meeting one-on-one -on -one with whoever owns each session. So for one of my clients, Feeding America, I meet with each session to help them design their 75 minutes. And then they pick the speakers. And then I do a prep session for all the speakers collectively to just be like best practices, let me check your camera, all that stuff. But we're doing it also for their in-person events. So they went back to in-person for some stuff. And I'm like still meeting with each individual session. And that way they're getting more value packed in and more engagement, more results-driven design of the program. I'm asking them like, what happens 30, 60, 90 days after this event? How are you going to stay in touch? Like what resources can you share? How, what, you know, so it's like full scope. And I also find myself sometimes, Tom, being hired by people and they tell me this grand plan. And then we get like into the planning of the event and I find out they don't have a marketing plan. Like I had a client that I've now done, um, I'm about to do the second event with them. We're contracted for like the next year and a half. He's like, I'm, you're just like on my calendar. And he wanted to do a Zoom webinar. And when I asked him why, like, why do you want to do Zoom webinar? It's like lower engagement, you know, you can't, it's just not, it's like less useful. And he said, oh, I don't want people to know how few people are in the room. <laughs> and I said, you're solving the wrong problem. Like, let's talk about how we actually get people in the room. And it turned out his marketing director wasn't actually part of the plan. They had been using a third party to like create the event. And now that I'm that third party, I had to like create a team plan I had to help them all find their own role within the team and make sure that any idea that was worth like discussing and a value, no matter who brought it up, was brought to the surface. Because it turned out one of the like marketing slash web guy was like had some tremendous ideas, but no one knew them because he didn't know how to tell people. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, this is what we have to do. And now they're seeing numbers rise. I'm giving them tools they can use to personalize their outreach. Because to me, I could have handled the tech of the event, but it wouldn't have been a successful event if they didn't have the right number of people. You know, now they're they're on their track to actually get the numbers that they and thought like they were marketing themselves as being way more popular than they were. And they were hiding that like by using Zoom webinars. But you also can't feel good about that going forward. Like that right. doesn't make sense. So to me, I'm this, you know, you kind of get all my brain. You you don't just get my event design brain, you get my marketing brain, right? Like you get whatever you need. And I think that the place for me to explore in this next, you know, year and a half, two years is going to be working because mostly I work with these large nonprofits, associations, 
to start working with more and more six and seven figure entrepreneurs because the few that I've helped are seeing like tangible results. And that's super exciting because for them, it is, it's a revenue result. Or it's like you said, it's even if it's not revenue result, it's follow through results. It's people being committed to the program and getting more out of that value of that. So I'm really excited. And the other sort of subset of virtual that I do is I host virtual book launch parties. I have self-published or independently published three books that have over 200 reviews. And yeah, my third book just came out, you know, it's like seven months ago, it has, I think like almost 250 and like 240 something. So That's if awesome. anyone else wants to get me over that edge, thank you. Um, this is the book Breakout of Boredom, but they hadn't even thought of that, like doing a launch party. And then I come along and I'm like, let me help you build your launch team from your own network, get the number of reviews you should have for this book and do a launch party that isn't just a self-congratulation, but has a success panel that has people talking about how amazing you are to work with, that has the call to action for the follow-up that is business related to the book. I'll do the plea for reviews as a fellow author. I'll be the host and MC, interview you, we'll have prize wheel, we'll have a lot of fun, we'll play music. And it, they could never have conceived of the idea. Like to me, it's now becoming rote. <laughs> like I've done a dozen of these. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's segments you choose from. But to them, it's like, I couldn't even get to this part. Like they were basically just hitting publish and hoping that the book would be a major success. And if you have the kind of audience where that works, <laughs> you probably have the money to buy New York Times bestseller. And you probably are. Like, But for the rest of us, how do we leverage not just the people on our email list, but our network? And our network is always bigger than our email list. No matter how yes. big our, our email list is, our network is always bigger. So how do we leverage that to help whatever we're launching, whether it's a book or a program or a podcast? So I don't know. To me, I'm, a, I'm sort of agnostic about what people create. I just think there's a process of testing and then piloting and then building. And, you know, the scale, not everyone gets the scale. Scale is not a goal for everybody. And I think we no. measure ourselves against other people. We feel bad that we are not at scale. I'm like, if it's sustainable and you know where the money is coming from every month, then you have a successful business. Like that's what a definition of successful business is. Like knowing where the money is coming from. Yes, that, don't worry about it. If you don't want to travel to 12 countries a month and like get sick and have the flu, this actually happened to my mentor. She had the flu while she was in Russia and she started slowing down her travel. And it's like, that to me made me realize like, I don't want that kind of success. You know, yeah. that, I want my kind of success. Anyway. Yes. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I could go on and on, obviously, because I know <laughs> interesting topics and I realized we're coming to the top of the hour. Um, so that went very quickly, but um, then let me just give you back the floor and say, Robbie, well, thank you first for being on In the Trenches, but where can people reach out to find you? But what's the best way to connect? Tell them a little bit more about that. Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. You can shoot me an email. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. R-O-B-B-I-E-S-A-M-U-E-L-S.com, which has sort of houses everything that I do. Uh, my podcast is called On the Schmooze. Content and Connection Club was the membership group that I mentioned. NoMoreBadZoom.com is the free monthly gathering that I host every uh, first Friday of the month. Yeah, I'm, I sort of have my hand in a lot of different pots, book launch coaching, working with the virtual events, like all my books, my everything's on my my website. And I, if you do send me a note, please through LinkedIn, like send me a message saying like you met me on Tom's podcast so we can connect back through that. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from your folks. Absolutely. Do it. So go check out Robbie Samuels. Robbie, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. It was a real pleasure. Absolutely. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating review. 
Just go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you to iTunes where you can leave a five-star rating review, and that really helps spread the word about this podcast. And finally, if you need help growing your online business or generating new traffic leads and sales at a profit, reach out to me at tom at tomworkus.com or head over to the website tomworkus.com and sign up for the free newsletter. That's it for today. Stay frosty.